United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Dr. Donald Jensen is Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace, here with his perspective on the Russian attack on Ukraine. Dr. Jensen, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I mean, it really shocks the conscience, doesn't it, to see civilians getting getting bombed? It uh, it does. It, it looks like World War II. You think you're in 1945 or or uh, some of the other tragic wars of Europe in the past, and it has really shocked uh, the world. Uh, and I I also was shocked over the weekend to to come to understand the the depth of misinformation in Russia or just a total blackout on information. How little is getting into Russia about what's really happening? Um, for example, there are now more than 11,000 Russian troops killed in this con 11,000. Like that, what is that? Like almost a thousand a day? And uh, it Russia is, it yeah, is. Russians have no idea, no idea. How can he, how can he control that? It's amazing. Well, the fact is that he can't. And you know, Julie, I think we ought to look at the arenas of Russian public opinion in, in two ways. One is the society, where there have been brave people, many arrested over the weekend, as you've seen. And the second is the And the second is the elite. And in the elite, for the first time, really in 20 years of Putin's rule, you have seen cracks. And that has shocked a lot of people. It's come from the uh, intelligence services. It's uh, come from other, other places around the elite, too, including the oligarchs as we've seen. And this is really significant because if there's going to be uh, any pressure pushback from, to, to Putin, it's going to come from the elite first. And while they're still amorphous and not very organized, they're clearly unhappy. So we have to watch that dynamic. How effective is that? I mean, how, how much sway do they have with Putin? Well, they, he's the boss. I think they're afraid of him. But the fact that they're speaking out, the fact that members of the KGB, FSB, they call it now, allegedly leaked to the Ukrainians mm -hmm. a, uh, a plot to assassinate Zelensky shows how deep the, the dissatisfaction is. Will they do something? I don't know. But when you shut down the whole country and in information, as you said, when you, you anger the elites around Putin, this is not good for, for Putin's role, whatever happens in the, in the fighting on the ground. We were stunned by some U.S. and U.K. estimates last week showing that uh, this could drag on for 10 years. This could just become an occupation. Oh, it very much can. Even if Kiev falls, and I think people this week ought to keep a special focus on the attempt by the Russians to surround Kiev. Uh, even if it falls, I'm absolutely convinced they will just move the government to Lviv or someplace else. And then it will go to a guerrilla war, a partisan war. And frankly, that's something the Ukrainians have a lot of experience in. Their grandparents fought during World War II that way. And I think Putin uh, has a big, big long-term problem on his hands. And Julie, I would note that uh, according to Pentagon public estimates, the, the uh, Russians have already committed most of their troops that they had, remember, three weeks ago building up around the border. Those are now 90% committed. So Putin is going to have a manpower shortage soon if this doesn't end. Unfortunately, one way it could uh, uh, evolve in its next steps is by increased attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure and the kind of thing we've seen beginning already. What is the tactical reasoning behind attacking civilians and civilian infrastructure? 
Well, this is the Russian way of war, frankly, to be honest. This is what they did in World War II. But in the current crisis, what's happened is that once they miscalculated Ukrainian resistance and the capability of their own soldiers, remember, this was supposed to be a blitzkrieg that took Kiev in a day or two. Then they had to shift tactics. We've seen pauses. And that shift has been toward more violence, to more indiscriminate use of artillery, to all those other horrible things that have caused all the refugees we've seen over the past few days. Yeah. Can you explain what's going on with the evacuees? Um, and, and it seems like Putin's doing a bit of double talk there as well. Of course they are. There are over a million, have you seen, in Poland and the other countries to the west of Ukraine. Uh, all the reports I see is that the Poles and other uh, recipient countries have treated them very well, provided them with warmth and shelter and food as they move them uh, further on in the process. But uh, the uh, Russians, of course, have clearly clearly attacked them as they were leaving. The Russians have violated at least two ceasefires in a town called Mariupol in the southern part of the country. And that just shows what they're trying to do, which is terrorize the Ukrainian nation into capitulating. So far, there's no sign at all they're going to capitulate. There's every sign they're going to fight for as long as it takes. Yeah, that it's um, their their uh, their their defiance has been inspiring to watch. Uh, but is is there any, you know? And I know Zelensky's been turned into a hero, but I think these things are a little more complicated. He denied right up until it happened that this was going to happen, and he had no plan to evacuate his people. Well, you know, uh, Julie, that's what the press said, and frankly, that alarmed me in the run up to the war. But there's been another straight stream of quieter Ukrainian warning, war, uh, information that he was doing that partly to get the Russians off guard. And mm. they were actually, they were preparing. Certainly the stout Ukrainian defense uh, on the part of the defense ministry shows that they were ready, even if they were outnumbered and outgunned. So you raise an excellent question, and it's not clear what they were, what Zelensky and his people were doing, but it may well be uh, just to keep the Russians off balance and maybe get them them overconfident. Uh, one of the things about this war, Julie, has been the use of disinformation on both sides. The Russians have a narrative, which is obviously not true about Ukraine and its country and its people and the war. But Zelensky and the uh, even the Biden administration, I think, have used public information uh, very effectively. Remember, uh, in the run up to the war, the White House was leaking when the war would start, when it, when this or that would happen. And I think the Russians were, were uh uh, kept off guard on that. They didn't expect that. They usually put out their narrative. It convinces a lot of people, even in the West. But this time, it wasn't as successful. And uh, that's been a really one of the noteworthy things about the war. The Ukrainians, I think, are a little more experienced than we are in this. And they've been playing back narratives, too, which fogs up our ability to, 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 to understand and see what's going on. But it also does have, I think, a, 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 a slight, uh, not a significant, but a slight pushback on Russian plans. And as we've seen, uh, the biggest Russian miscalculation of all has been that the Ukrainians have resisted, contrary to what the Kremlin thinks, and that has been a major factor in the Russians' trouble advancing so far. Um, Antony Blinken was talking over the weekend about some scheme to use uh, Polish fighters to go into Ukraine and then the U.S. would backstop them with with more jets from the U.S. Isn't that a violation of Section 5? I mean, isn't that isn't that getting a little close to NATO involvement? 
in Ukraine? It's very close. It's very close, Julianne. You know, there are interpretations and there are interpretations. We are supplying Ukraine with weapons, offensive weapons, and uh, uh, the Russians could interpret that as NATO involvement. They do not uh, so far. And I would note in passing, there is a deconfliction channel between the Russian military and the U.S. But when you're talking about what you just mentioned, which is to say the Poles give the Ukrainians old Russian-built fighters and we give the Poles new stuff, that comes very close to uh, a NATO involvement. Mm -hmm. It's a gray area and it's dangerous. Uh, not to say I don't support it, but it's dangerous. The related issue is the no-fly zone, Julie, where uh, that which a lot of senators want, would essentially allow NATO or the U.S. to shoot down Russian aircraft, anti-aircraft uh, missile systems and so forth uh, uh, to protect the Ukrainian Air Force and troops on the ground. The Ukrainian Air Force, by the way, is a weak spot in the Ukrainian armed forces. That, again, is seen by the Pentagon and the White House as uh, essentially pulling NATO and the U.S. into a war with Russia. That's why the Biden administration is opposed to it. I suspect that will continue. But there are a lot of people in the West who do want a no-fly zone. Uh, and it would be effective, I'm sure. But it would drag NATO really effectively to a de facto direct conflict with, with the Russians. And that's why we're, we being the U.S. and NATO, are playing safe. Right. And, you, and, and as you mentioned earlier, um, with Putin and his forces depleted, if NATO comes in full strength, what's his response going to be? You know, there's not a lot exactly. he can fall back on except perhaps his nuclear weapons. Yeah, we know what he could fall back on, and that really is the 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 the, 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 the gray ghost behind all this stuff. So uh, I don't think there's going to be a no no fly zone for the reasons you you mentioned. And I would add, as you've read everywhere the past couple of weeks, there is now questions about Putin's own cognitive abilities, to put it mm. in a neutral way. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's too much talk about him being crazy because we don't know that. But certainly, he's isolated, and uh, the fact that he's isolated. Is not good either because the leaders, especially leaders of authoritarian regimes, need information that's accurate. And I go back, Julie, to two weeks ago today when you saw the, the film of an, uh, their Security Council meeting and, and Putin dressed down the head of his own intelligence service, who's a really a hardliner because intelligence services, his intelligence service wanted more negotiations. And that could have been staged, but it suggests that Putin... Uh, may not always follow the best information his advisors can provide. That is dangerous, and that's why people are very cautious about dragging NATO and the U.S. more directly into the conflict. Dr. Donald N. Jensen is Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Jensen, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you, Julie. Really good to talk. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.